Welcome to the Renovation Church Podcast, Pastor Leonce here. I know that you want to make an investment that matters in your community. You want to change lives. But often the problems of our community seem too big uh, for us to solve alone. And I don't know about you, but at times that has made me feel helpless. The reality, though, is that everyone should be able to make an impactful investment in the lives of the people in their community. And trust me, I understand uh, all of us have experienced a problem that we felt helpless and powerless to solve on our own. But I can tell you that for 12 years, Renovation Church and myself have partnered together as a ministry to solve issues in our community that we could not solve alone. So I'm inviting you today to pray, to assess your opportunities and hopefully led by the Lord to invest so that we can accomplish the great things that God wants to do through us for our partners like Wellspring, uh, for our partners like Promise 686, for Union Church in Lima and several others. I'm inviting you today to make a significant year-end investment. And if you're unclear of that exact investment that you should make, I'd love for you to schedule a meeting with one of our pastors so that we can cast this vision for you. And of course, if you do, you'll make an impact in the lives of your community and you'll know it and you will feel the gift that giving is in a world that takes so much. For more information, visit renovationchurch.com. Looking forward to seeing you in a service very soon. Father, we pray that that would always be on our lips and that as we prepare to receive from your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Father God, I pray that you get me out of the way so that you are front and center. Hide me beneath your hand and let your people hear from their father today. Uh, Lord God, I pray that your word would uh, penetrate our hearts, whether we're here in the room or there in one of our many rooms online. And, and I pray, Lord God, that this would be a truly transformative experience. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and Redeemer. And will you meet us in this moment in a powerful way in Christ's name. Amen and amen. If you have a Bible, um, paper or digital, uh, go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Philippians chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. Everything uh, from the text will be up on the screen, but I always find it incredibly helpful uh, to have it in your hand as well. Philippians chapter 4. But before we unpack the passage, uh, I wanted to talk to you about a commonality among us all. You want to be blessed, you want to be satisfied. You want to be blessed and you want to be satisfied. And wanting blessing and a satisfactory life is not wrong. It's, it's not unusual. In fact, it's one of the most basic human desires. And yet there's a hurdle, right? There's a hurdle between us and blessing. There's a hurdle between us and satisfaction. Our host culture tells us that blessing is measured by what we have. And that satisfaction is measured by what we get to consume. And the reality is that as much as we think those things are going to finally bring a sense of blessing or a sense of satisfaction, I could give you a long list of people in the music industry that I know and actors and athletes that they finally got their first big check and they thought that it was going to wash away an entire history of choices and it was suddenly going to bring the satisfaction that they would have been looking for and all of a sudden they found themselves even more empty than when they started the journey. 
Those things will always fall woefully short. In fact, as Eckhart Tolle once wrote, uh, nothing out there will satisfy you except temporarily and superficially. But you may need to experience many disillusionments before you realize that truth. Those words are poignant. I believe they resonate with our experience. And knowing this, knowing this, that, that that's a resonance with our experience, how does that leave us feeling? Well, I can tell you for me, most obviously, uh, let down and unsatisfied. And yet that's not what God has for us. God's desire is for us to flourish. God's desire is that everyone, every single person, be able to live with a deep sense of satisfaction. And so the question is, how do we get there? Well, I've asked this question many times over the course of my life, more times than I can count, even as I have experienced both the highs and the lows of financial blessing, even though I have experienced gain and lack, I was always asking that question. And early in my life, I truly believed that if I could get just a bit more, then I would finally be satisfied. Well, then I got it. And I wasn't satisfied. But after that, I had a life-altering experience. I met a man named Jesus, and I'm not the only one. Many people have had the same experience for thousands of years. In fact, there's an ancient story of a man who had a similar moment. For most of his adult life, he lived with one goal. He was going to make as much as he could, as fast as he could, by nearly any means that he could. And guess what? He was successful. He made it. He made it happen. He amassed a great deal of wealth, even as many of his people and most of his nation languished under incredible oppression and poverty. Then one day, he began to hear rumors of this great teacher that was wandering from town to town, challenging the status quo in every way imaginable. The government feared his influence would cause an uprising. The religious community feared his teaching would alter how Jewish people viewed their own words and actions. And this teacher seemed to be driven by something greater. And his teaching and his ability to do seemingly impossible things intrigued this wealthy man, the man became so plagued that he lost his sleep. He became lax in collecting his revenues. He found himself constantly mulling over the words of this mysterious teacher. And eventually he determined that he must meet this man. He heard the teacher was coming to town, but he found it impossible to even get close to him. And so in an act of sheer desperation, a grown, wealthy, powerful man climbed up a tree just to get a look at his face. Of course, this teacher was more than a man, he would soon discover. The teacher moved almost clairvoyantly toward him, demanding he come out of the tree and have him over for dinner that evening. The wealthy man, Zacchaeus, agreed. And the teacher, Jesus, whom Zacchaeus would come to know as God, gladly obliged him. And what happened at that meal is nothing short of extraordinary. Zacchaeus declared to Jesus that he's been transformed and instead of keeping his hands clenched around his wealth, he is determined to pay back anything that he's taken from anybody, not at an equal rate, but at four times what he owes them. Further, he tells Jesus, all that I have, half of it I'm going to give to people who are experiencing poverty. You see, what happened in that moment, in this encounter with Jesus, 
is that all of a sudden, for this very wealthy man, his identity as a follower of Jesus became more important to him than anything he held in his hands. And though he seemed to lose something by being so open-handed with his possessions, it turns out that he gained everything. His giving displayed that he believed that he had gotten something more than what material wealth could provide, something of immeasurable value, something that lasts for eternity. Now, my retelling of this Bible story, if you didn't know it was a Bible story, it's about Zacchaeus, right? He was a man, a wee little man, right? Um, I have one goal in retelling this Bible story, and that is to show us the path to peace and satisfaction, the same path that we're all on. We're looking. We're looking, we're searching, maybe the next promotion, maybe the next person, maybe the next opportunity, maybe the next home, maybe the next neighborhood, maybe the next time I'm recognized at work, maybe then I'll find it. We're all on the same path, looking for peace, looking for blessing, looking for satisfaction. And so was this man, and he finally found it. And so the question I will put before you today as we jump into our time is, what happened? What happens to how we view our material wealth when encountering Jesus truly transforms us? Well, Maya Angelou put it this way. She says, uh, I have found that among its other benefits, giving <laughs> liberates, thank you, the soul of the giver. I have found among its many other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. Further, Scripture promises this, that God gives you the blessing of satisfaction through the joy of generosity. That is the promise of the Word of God. Why? Because your material possessions will never make you fully satisfied. I know you're thinking, well, how, you can say that from the position you're sitting in. Let me tell you something. When Brianna and I first got married, we lived in a townhouse where I could touch both walls standing like this. And it was one of the happiest periods in my life because the money from the league never brought me satisfaction and the money from corporate America never brought me satisfaction. And, and money is not an evil thing. Money is not a bad thing, but money can't be the only thing. And it can't be the thing to which we look to tell us who we are. It'll never satisfy. It'll never satisfy. It'll never provide peace. It'll never give you a sense of transcendence. But God can, and God will when you give all that you are over to all that he is. You will be fully satisfied. In fact, uh, Paul calls this satisfaction the blessing. He says this, I am not trying to get something from you, but I want you to receive the blessing that comes from giving. Philippians 4, 17. He wants something for them, not from them, and they knew it. They knew it. In fact, the Philippian church uh, uh, was known for their generosity. And the occasion of Paul's letter was multifaceted, but for our purposes, we look to the primary reason of his writing, and that is to thank this church for their abundant generosity toward the gospel. The church at Philippi was incredibly mature concerning material possessions, much more mature than many of the other ancient churches. They knew how to be generous. They knew the value of supporting the gospel and supporting those who proclaim it. 
They knew that God would always provide for their needs, so they never feared being sacrificially generous because their generosity could only ever return to them when they entrusted themselves to God. In fact, Paul writes of his overwhelming and immense joy that their thoughtful concern for him has flourished once more. He says, the Lord has made me very grateful that at last you have thought about me once again. Actually, you were thinking about me all along, but you didn't have a chance to show it. Hear his words. There was no loss of love. There was only a lack of opportunity. Now, the nature of the circumstances that prevented them from giving are not laid out for us. But there is one interesting consideration, and that is that Paul himself may have deliberately failed to express his need. He'd been heavily misrepresented in Thessalonica by opponents outside of the church when he'd received personal aid from the Christians there. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 2 Thessalonians 3. Church members in Corinth heavily criticized Paul, accusing him of sponging off of the community. They had a difficult relationship. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so it's not far-fetched then to believe that Paul, who was already sensitive about financial matters, matters may have requested that for a season the church not send him any money for personal use. But for the Christians who made up the church at Philippi, only opportunity, never generosity was lacking. In fact, you could say it this way, that they were in their mind, show us where to give and we will find a way. They understood that it was a gift to give, particularly for the cause of the gospel. Now, after Paul praises them for showing concern for him and furthering the gospel, he takes the time to teach and to testify. He has no real sense of need. He, he's not felt neglected. His, his joy does not arise from his bettering circumstances or from the satisfaction that material possessions promise him. Why? Well, Paul tells them, I have learned, somebody say learned, learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. What does that tell you? That you don't automatically drift into a place of contentment when Jesus saves you, but that you actually have to learn how to be content over the course of time. Paul has had to take some time. He has had to endure some trials. He has had to have some things go differently than he anticipated. He has had to trust the Lord and reset and recenter. And so the, the source of his satisfaction is not anybody's giving because his satisfaction was never circumstantial in the first place. His life is one descriptive of what it means to be God-dependent in such a way that no matter what cards are dealt across the table, we trust that God will help us have the hand we need to win in the moment in Jesus' name. He is entirely God-sufficient and in no way self-sufficient. And that's what happens over the course of Christian maturity. In fact, A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, said this, the greatest need of our age and every age, the greatest need of every human heart is to know the resources and sufficiency of God. Now, following this declaration of his God sufficiency, Paul decides to put flesh on it. Remember, I said he was going to teach and then he decided to testify. And at almost rhythmic bars, he begins to spit form. I know what it is to be poor and to have plenty. I know what it is to live under all kinds of conditions. 
I know what it is to be full and to be hungry, to have much and to have little. You see, through his walk with Jesus, Paul, listen to this, gained an ability to live in whatever circumstances he found himself with a good attitude and a clean heart. He knew how to cope when he was poor. He knew how to manage when he was well off. He knew how to live in the intermediate circumstances. His financial situation had no bearing on the state of his soul or the way he lived his life. He was at all times and in every circumstance fully satisfied. Though what Paul has already put to paper is extraordinary, he's not finished. He, he told his story, and now he's going to remind them of their part in it. You have shared in my difficulty, Paul writes to Philippi. You have stood with me at every juncture. You have done more than just your duty. You have been noble and praiseworthy in your generosity toward God. He flourishes, recalling for them another recent gift while he was leaving Macedonia on a journey to preach the gospel. Philippi was the only church out of all of them that shared with him in giving and receiving. Now, what does Paul mean here that they shared in giving, in giving and receiving? Philippi was the only church that shared with him in giving and receiving. The giving part is clear, but what did they receive? Well, they received the joy of seeing the gospel go forward and change lives as their lives had been changed. They received the treasures in heaven that Jesus speaks about in the gospels, which is directly related to how we steward our earthly possessions. They received a share in each new work of Paul's so that when new churches were planted and new ministries were started and new lives were reached and new lives were changed, they had a part in every endeavor. It was their work as well as his. Even when he was in Thessalonica, Philippi continued to help him meet his needs and extend the gospel. Their faith was entirely in Jesus, which extended their generosity toward Paul and the kingdom. And for that, Paul was incredibly grateful. You know, years ago, one of my mentors told me the importance of reminding people about their kindness towards you. He said this, he said, it is right for people to know that they are appreciated, even when they can assume that you appreciate them. Relationships flourish where people take the time to remember their kindness one to another, not as a means of braggadocio or leverage, but it's a sign of love and appreciation. Now, this passage is not directly about that, but it is an essential little principle that I could not overlook, that we should remind the people who have invested in you how much you appreciate that investment. And if you do that, as we see between Paul and Philippi, you will rarely lack love between you. As Paul closes this portion, he beautifully and poetically continues saying this, and we already read it together, but I want to hear it again. Uh, he says, I'm not trying to get something from you, but I want you to receive the blessing that comes from giving. Had someone misread Paul's words, it could be presumed that in recalling the past generosity of the Philippian church, he was in some way trying to manipulate the situation, that he was coveting the gift toward him. And so Paul makes a small disclaimer to ensure that anyone reading this would know that that's not the case. He didn't in any way cover their giving. He didn't in any way want anything from them. His interest, his heart was set on one thing, what he wanted for them. 
And what he wanted for them was the compound interest that keeps on accruing to your heavenly account. He wanted their spiritual progress and God's blessing in their lives. He wanted them to be blessed and fully satisfied. Paul has in view only their compound interest of continued spiritual blessing and future heavenly blessing that comes from giving. He wanted a complete account for them, a whole account, a full account beyond this temporary world and into the eternity that God is establishing for us. Their generosity toward God through Paul and the other churches, Paul says, will position them to receive the blessing. Like him, Paul wanted them to be fully satisfied and filled to overflowing. He wanted them to know that their generosity, listen to this, their generosity is more than a financial transaction. It is a sacrifice a fragrant aroma of praise to the living God. In fact, their generosity is of immense value, not only for him and his well-being, but to God for, listen, their well-being, for their well-being. Why? Because your generosity is a gift to yourself. How? Because of the promise that we find in Scripture. Look at it in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, my God, because of your giving, will fully satisfy you as he has me. Every need you have will be met according to the riches and glory of Jesus. By being willing to give God everything, you will never lack anything. Amen. Listen, I'm not a fool. I know church folks are uncomfortable talking about money. I knew this would be one of them sermons. I was prepared for it. But I'm trying to tell you the way to live that's going to get you the life you want. That's all. That's all. Because if you hold on to inflation-based currency for which we don't even have enough gold to cover and think that that will be your hope, you will find yourself woefully sold short. Every single time. But the promise from God, the promise of the word, is that if we entrust it all to him, then we have a share in the limitless resources of the living God. And that our generosity will never lead us to a position of lack. Our earthly days are secure. Our heavenly account is accruing compound interest. We will be blessed. We will be satisfied. Now, if you don't practice the way of Jesus... Or maybe you're in a season of deconstructing or reconstructing. And I imagine that this type of sermon can be challenging for you. And yet, no matter where we're coming from, I believe we can all admit that we are allured by the temporal things of this world. By the idea that material wealth and the sense of satisfaction and security that we hope it will offer really grabs at our hearts. And yet, if you're honest with yourself, if we could take 30 seconds, you don't have to say it out loud in your chair, right there. If you could take 30 seconds and just be honest with yourself, you and I both know that no matter how much we get, it always misses the mark. It leaves us unsatisfied. And to that, Jesus says, I can give you a blessing 
and a satisfaction that will never run out. Jesus, through the most generous act of giving ever, gave his life on a brutal cross and became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Amen. He gave it all so that we might get it all. Jesus generously divested himself of an eternity of riches so that we can share in an eternity of riches. Jesus gave his all for us so that we can be blessed in this life and wealthy beyond measure in the next. That's what he did. So my question for you is, will you believe Jesus today? Over and against the voices of the host culture, over and against the lies that we've learned to believe, over and against the idea that the next mountain you climb is finally going to give you a deep sense of satisfaction. Will you believe Jesus today? You know, for those of us who do practice the way of Jesus, as I invited others to take a step of faith, I invite you to take a step of faith as well. I invite you to give a legacy gift today if you follow the way of Jesus, to cheerfully participate. 100% participation in the room and online. That's the win. That's the goal. And let me tell you something. As the word teaches us, the gain is all yours. The gain is all yours. In fact, R.G. Letourneau, he was a wealthy industrialist in the 19th and 20th century. He didn't start off wealthy. He started off very poor, in fact, but he, he always gave no matter what he had. And he ended up being so wealthy that they didn't have enough charities to dole out the money that he was making. And he quoted this when they interviewed him and asked him about his faith and about his generosity. R.G. Letourneau said this, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. And I'm testifying that I can tell you that I've lived this life. And it is true. Giving in the end is getting. You get a sense of peace. You get a share in the gospel. You get rewards in heaven. You get it is proven and undeniable. And I imagine that there are many testimonies in this room and in our many rooms online that match Paul's testimony. That if we believe that we gain through giving, we live confidently, knowing we will never lack anything. And listen, when we give, great things happen. When we give, great things happen. In fact, renovation, you have accomplished much this year because of your generosity. And I wish I could highlight all of it, but we don't have time. But I just want to highlight a few and, and, and let you see the kingdom difference you made in 2023 because of your generosity. First of all, Serve Day was a huge success. Yeah, amen. It was an incredible success. Amen. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I expect this out of the nine. I don't expect this out of y'all, all right? You slept in, you ate breakfast. Come on now. Serve Day was a huge success. In fact, uh, there's a little, there's a little uh, picture there of the great work that we got to do. We partnered with Live Church, one of our sister churches, uh, about eight minutes from here, uh, and several other area ministries and local schools. Uh, our work at Wheeler was so impactful that they're literally still talking about it today. And then we got to have a big block party afterwards, and it was a great time. Uh, number two, Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental Health Awareness Month. Amen. Once again, 
It was the premier event in the life of our church. Men and women received expert teaching as well as being granted access to incredible resources. Listen, combining spiritual sanctification with mental and emotional wellness was a gift to all who participated. Okay, We grew our investment over this year substantially in every area. And here's what I mean by that. We have more people serving than we've ever had serving in the life of our church. Amen. We have more small group leaders than we've ever had small group leaders. We have more giving this year than we've ever had in the life of our church. It's incredible. It's incredible. God has been so good to and through us. At the top of the year, our spiritual family committed to seeing more of God and more freedom in every area of our lives, and we experienced it in many meaningful ways. And then the last one I'll highlight, I just put under the heading events, events, events. We did a lot of events over this last year, a lot of events. They, they just kept coming. And uh, uh, we, we hosted a singles conference. We hosted a uh, marriage conference. We, we hosted a women's conference. We hosted at the movies. We hosted Candy Palooza. We hosted our first ever Alpha Weekend. We opened the doors to multiple community organizations, including Wellspring and Table on Delk and the Cobb County School Counselors and others. And each of these events met two goals, our flourishing and reaching unchurched and de-churched people. It was a great year of gospel fruit through carefully planned and executed events. Amen. And the reason I share where we won this year is because it's directly tied to how generous you were. In fact, in light of all that God did in 2023 because of the year in giving in 2022, I want you to imagine what he could do. Our year in giving in 2022 was $202,829. And I think if we go all in as a family over the next couple of weeks, all in as a family, I believe that we can double that this year. What better way to end the year than to make a difference in the lives of others and extend the kingdom of God? And to that end, we have prayerfully selected a few ways that we want to see our church make a spiritual investment in ministries locally and nationally and around the world. And after that, by investing in the effectiveness of our own ministry plan here at Renovation. So our focus for year-end giving this year, number one, uh, will be our Freedom Project. It'll be our Freedom Project, and we're hoping to see $200,000 go to that Freedom Project. In case you're new or maybe you've forgotten, uh, the, the goal is for us to finish the front of our building uh, and, and our property, to fix the outer wall there at the front of the building, renovate the entrance, and put in sports fields and a playground that will create a, com a space for community impact. In fact, if you were here last year, you remember that the principal from Wheeler High School came and he said, the very best thing you can do for my kids is create a place for them to be after school. This is our opportunity to do that. And then we get to benefit from it secondhand because it creates a community space for our church as well. The second place we want to invest uh, our year in gift this year is in Wellspring Living's Welcome Home Project uh, at $70,000. We made a $250,000 pledge toward this project. We believe that it is vital as they are working on a $20 million. And, and, and I am biased. I happen to be uh, the incoming board chairman for Wellspring. Super stoked about that. And um, amen. And um, they are doing a $20 million project. You can see the, the uh, plans there uh, specifically to house, educate, 
train uh, and care for the healing uh, and service of victims of trafficking. There is no greater effort we could invest in in the world than to seeing marginalized people made whole. Amen? And then lastly, and this is the one that actually serves us and, and I also believe necessary, is uh, we need to make some key staff hires. Um, one of the great gifts we've had of this year is being understaffed, which means that many of you stepped up to lead in significant ways, and it has been beautiful. We have gotten more done in the last two years with five staff members and willing Dream Team members than we did when we had a staff of 19. It's been incredible, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so thankful for you. Comma. Help. Okay. We need some help. Okay, we, we, we're, we're really, really thin, and uh, we really need to hire two or three people um, um, to help round out our team at the phase that we're at right now, and we think we can do that for about $130,000 so that we can continue to facilitate the care of you and continue to facilitate the multiplication of our church's mission. And so here's my ask today. My ask first is that you look at this giving journey. And you know that we believe that giving is a journey here. And I know that that seems to be held in tension with the fact that we believe in the tithe, but I don't see the tension. We believe that everybody starts somewhere and that the floor is the tithe. And sometimes you got to work your way up to the floor before you go beyond that. So we believe that giving is a journey. And my ask for you today is wherever you fall on this journey ladder, whether you're an initial giver uh, or a consistent giver, ask the Lord right now to inspire you to take a step toward the next level. If you're an initial giver, ask God to, to, to help you ask the question of how to become a consistent giver. What do I do with God's stuff? If you're a consistent giver, maybe today is the day you step into being an intentional giver and so on and so forth. I would love to see every single one of us take a step today in our generosity so that we can experience the blessing that God promises through Paul's words to the church at Philippi. Today, I'm inviting you to give and to get your share in the gospel going forward. Give as a sacrifice of praise and get the promise of God that accrues to your account that can never be overdrawn. And as you make your gift online or via text or in the box in the back, especially if you make it in the box in the back, just indicate the amount of your over and above gift that is intended as a legacy gift. Now, one thing uh, of explanation, if you're going to give through Church Center, there's only one drop-down screen. It's the Harvest Initiative. That is our three-year initiative. The reason why we call this Legacy Sunday or a legacy gift is because we choose specific initiatives where we want to stamp and leave a legacy. But when you go into Planning Center, if you're going to give that way, uh, then you'll just hit the drop-down for the Harvest Initiative, and that is your legacy gift. If you're writing a check uh, or using cash, you can actually write on the check of the envelope what your tithe is and what your over and above legacy gift is as well. I'm going to invite the band up now as we prepare to close in worship.